We're starting a new series today called The Ultimate Summer Road Trip. The Ultimate Summer Road Trip. And I'll tell you the heart of this behind this message series in just a moment. But let me ask you a question. How many loves a good road trip? How many have ever been on a road trip before? Yeah. And the summer is a time for road tripping. I was watching that video and just reminded of times where we took some road trips. We're calling this series a road trip because I really had the heart to, throughout the summer, to lead us on a trip together and specifically a trip through the Bible, a trip through the Old Testament. So what we're gonna do is week after week, we've, we, we just concluded our series on the book of Acts and looking at the first church and what made them great. Well, I want to kind of transition now. We're gonna look at some of the people that may be well-known in the Old Testament and maybe some that may not be so well-known. And we're going to take a road trip. And, and he, here's the deal. We're gonna do more than just come together on Sunday. Um, we're on, on the back of your message notes every week, you're gonna, get a, you're gonna have a playlist and what that's gonna do is that's gonna give you a reading list to go through the scripture together this week and prepare you for our next stop on the road trip next week. So if you read those passages, just simple one chapter a day, it's gonna get you kind of in the mindset of where we're gonna be stopping next on the road trip. I love road trips. I grew up in a family that, that loves to road trip. My wife grew up in a family that loves to road trip. Uh, on road trips, I took one just this past week to go see a graduation of my cousin. And on a road trip, uh, we, were, we were leaving town and there was an accident. I don't know if you have ever been purposely heading somewhere and then, you know, the frustration of being caught in traffic. Um, that's, that's how it was. We were, we were kind of pressed for time and we were trying to get out of town and, and, and it's like the, the highway turned into a parking lot and I was, you know, we were, we were wondering, you know, what's, are we gonna get there on time? What's gonna happen? And finally, we barely met, we, we were, it took us about 20 minutes to get past this time where the traffic was slow and, and then whenever we, I was wondering what in the world's happening and then I get to this place and I realize that there's been an accident but the accident was on the complete other side of the interstate and people were just slowing down to look at it. I was frustrated. We call that rubbernecking where I come from. I don't know what you call it. Uh, I realize there's like all these different things. You, how many's ever heard it called a gawker's delay if you're from the North? I've always heard it rubbernecking, you know, people looking. An accident. What is, it's something about an accident. Everybody's looking at it. Everybody's looking at what's going on. And it's just part of a road trip. So I want to look at today an accident that took place in the Bible. And it's to, a, to someone in the, in the Old Testament that may be lesser known uh, he's, he's definitely not someone who would be a major star of the Bible, but I believe he's someone that will encourage you. And if you've been reading along with the one-year Bible with us this week, you, you probably read this along the way. 2 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 4, it's right there in your notes. It says, but Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. Could you say that with me, tongue-tied? Mephibosheth. Here we go, Mephibosheth. I know somebody that's, you're gonna have a baby, you're gonna name your son Mephibosheth after this message. But it says about Mephibosheth, it says he was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him and he became crippled. I want to title this message this morning, Crippled Condition, Royal Position. Crippled Condition, 
royal position. I really dedicate this message to someone that may have an area of your life that feels void of hope. I wanna, I wanna dedicate this message to someone you feel like you've been in an accident in life. Maybe it was even an accident that you did not even cause. Maybe it was an accident that happened to you. Maybe it was something from your childhood or your family or your parents, something, an accident, somebody dropped you along the way. And I wanna give you hope and to let you know that your past does not define your future. Your God defines your future. Who God is in our lives defines who we are and what we will become. See, it only matters what the king says about us. Second Samuel reads like a highlight reel of the life of David. David was the man. He was an incredible king. He was somebody whose who's the, the hand of God was on his life. If you could put his life and, and if you could boil it all down to a phrase or to a word, you could just simply say this, that God was with David. God anointed David from the time that he was but a young teenager. God looked at David and said, I have a plan for your life. I have a destiny for you to fulfill, but it's going to take a process. I want to tell somebody that there is always a process between where you are and where God is calling you to be. Don't be discouraged whenever you feel like God has anointed you to do something, but it's taken you a little bit more time. Don't be discouraged. If, if you're not there yet, it's okay. Even people like David had moments in their life where they weren't there yet. See, it took David 15 years to be appointed to the thing, to be king at the thing he was anointed to be. That you can be anointed as something, but not appointed just yet. <laughs> See, Satan tries to discourage us in the middle of whenever we're anointed and then when we're appointed. He wants to discourage you and me along the way and say, you're never going to make it. You're never going to become anything. You're going to be exactly like your mama, your daddy. You're going to be exactly like everybody else. You're never going to amount to anything. And you just need to look at the enemy sometimes and say, no, 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 you don't understand. I have still been anointed. God's hand's still on my life, and I'm just not there yet, and that's okay. See, it took him some time. It's a road trip, if you will. It's not something you get there in a moment. It takes a little bit of time, so don't be discouraged. But all the while, God was developing David. God was putting his hand on David in such an incredible way. And it took 15 years, but God's promise was true in his life. And David became the second king of Israel. And he had such a heart after God. He was an incredible king, an incredible man of God, and we see this in his very first order of business that he did as a king. We see it in 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 1. It's right there in your notes. It simply says this, One day David asked, Is anyone in Saul's family still alive, anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? David, his very first order of business as a king he had a desire. He said, hey, is there anybody that's of Jonathan's family that I can show kindness to? You see, this was very uncharacteristic of a king. Because usually the king's first order of business was to destroy all those who had opposed him. 
Usually it was the king's first order of business to take all the family of the previous dynasty and destroy them so that now he can establish his reign and his kingdom. But David does something different. David says, I'm not trying to kill anybody. I'm trying to look at my enemies and their family and how can I be kind to them? Here's the first point I want to talk to you about today. Here's the first one about the king. The king is kind. The king is kind. See, David represents God. David represents who God is in our life. And many times we can get a skewed idea of who God is, thinking that God takes joy and pleasure in judgment, that God takes joy and pleasure in taking people down, like he's looking for to destroy those that have hurt him along the way. But I want you to know this morning that the king of kings is kind. As a matter of fact, he's looking all over this place this morning to show kindness to somebody in this place. Somebody, you may feel like, no, God doesn't want anything to do with me. I've made some mistakes along the way. I'm never going to be. I want you to know that's not the voice of God because the voice of God comes to you and sees more in you than what you see in yourself. The voice of God comes and says, those who have hurt me, I'm going to bless and I'm going to reach out to them and I'm going to love them anyway. The king is kind. God's face, if you could imagine God's face, what would it be toward you? I love that question. If you could close your eyes in this moment and imagine the face of God looking at you, what would his face look like? Would he be smiling at you? Would he be scowling at you? Would he be angry at you? What would the face of God look like in your life? What would he be doing? You see, the king is kind. Here's the second aspect about the king is that the king's not only kind, the king is merciful. The king is merciful. I love what he says. He says, I'm looking for someone that I can show kindness to, but I'm looking for someone to show kindness to, not because of what they've done, but I'm looking to show kindness for Jonathan's sake. (laughs) You see, Jonathan was a friend of the king. Jonathan was a friend of David. Jonathan was someone who he was in covenant with, he, they, had, they had made a pact. They were blood brothers. They had made a pact that no matter what happens to them, they were going to make sure that they took care of one another and they were going to make sure that they took care of each other's family. They were in a covenant together. And whenever the king looked out, first of all, he was kind. But secondly, he was looking to, be, to give his kindness to someone, not because they deserved it, but because of Jonathan's sake. You see, God wants to bless you today, not because you're great, but it's for the sake of another. And I'll tell you who it is. It's because of Jesus. That you and I are blessed not because of our righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus. Because of who he is, not because of who we are. That you don't have to be good enough. As a matter of fact, you could never be good enough. Religion sometimes comes and acts like we can do enough things to get God to to like us. But the Bible says our righteousness is filthy to God. So, so it's like our righteousness is, is like a mountain from the moon. That yes, it's a little bit better than other people, but it's so far removed from God's standard. 
So Jesus comes, the perfect one. He dies for our sins. And whenever he does, God says, I'm ready to show kindness to my kids down there. Not because they're perfect, but because the lamb was perfect. I told you a couple weeks ago, we were talking about how the priest in the Old Testament, whenever the man would bring the man would bring the lamb to for his family to serve as a sacrifice for his family, it didn't matter how imperfect or perfect the man was. It was only the lamb that God examined. When it came before the priest, it wasn't the man that got examined. It was the lamb that got examined. So as long as the lamb was perfect, the man's sin was gone. And I want you to know that we have a perfect and spotless lamb in Jesus Christ. And whenever it's not about our perfection, but it's about the fact that he is perfect and he has given us his righteousness. You see, it's for Jonathan's sake. I want to tell somebody, Jesus wants to bless you. Today, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. Regardless of what your past looks like, Jesus can take that past and he can throw it as far as the east is from the west. And your past, you may have done what the devil says you did, but you're not who the devil says you are. You're a child of the king. You're a son or a daughter of God. You're someone full of purpose. You're someone that God has a great plan for. You see, the king is kind. Why don't you say that with me? The king is kind. Oh, I wish somebody would give a new revelation of who God is. The king is kind. The king is merciful. He's not giving you what you deserve. He's giving you what Jesus deserved. And we're, we should have died that death on the cross because we were the sinners. But he died so that we could have the life that he should have lived. You see... It goes on to say in verse 2 of your notes, I put it there, it says, He summoned a man named Zeba, it's another name for those of you naming your children, who have been one of Saul's servants. Are you Zeba? the king asked. Yes, sir, I am. The king then asked him, Is there anyone alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Zeba replied, Yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. Watch this. But he is a cripple in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. In Lodabar. Zeba told him, at the home of Maker, son of Amiel. I find it so interesting that this man is described by his condition before his name was ever mentioned. We know because we read it earlier, a couple chapters earlier in our text this morning, that his name was Mephibosheth. But this servant, Ziba, does not even say, yeah, there's one, his name's Mephibosheth. No, he says, there's one, but, 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 but he's got a past. Yeah, there's, there's one, but he's imperfect. <laughs> he's crippled. As a matter of fact, I'm not even gonna tell you his name. But here's the truth about him. Here's the first thing I want you to write about Mephibosheth is that he was damaged. He was damaged. Someone who should have carried him dropped him. As you remember, he was crippled not because of what he did, but he was crippled because of what something that had been done to him. He was dropped by someone that he should have been able to trust. He was dropped by someone who was paying attention to their own needs instead of, instead of their own. There was situations happening and there was war and fighting and there was someone trying to get out. And in the process of it all, as a child, he was dropped and he was damaged along the way and he was paralyzed. He wanted to move, but he couldn't. 
See, paralyzed is, is, is such a tragedy when someone's paralyzed because they have the muscles there. They, they have the desire there, but there's, there's a missing connection along the way that they're, they're damaged. I would dare say that every one of us in some area of our life have been damaged. Everybody has been damaged along the way. Regardless of what street you grew up on, how much wealth your parents did or did not have, if your family was there or not there, I believe everybody in this room has been damaged along the way by life. Everyone in this room has been damaged, not just by our own mistakes, but by the mistakes of others and people in our lives. And I want you to know that if that's you, God knows where you are. And God doesn't want to throw you away. Maybe you are being defined by your history, but God says he has a destiny for you that's greater than your history. See, that's what the point of the story was, is that the king looks down and everybody else just saw a cripple, but the king saw someone he wanted to be kind to. The king saw someone that he wanted to come and that he wanted to bring to his own home. He had a crippled condition, but because of the king, he had a royal position. I believe in every one of our lives, there's some aspects where we're crippled, we're barren, we've made some mistakes, we've been a part of some mistakes that others have made and it's hurt us along the way and we get damaged. Here's the second aspect of who he was. He was disconnected. He was disconnected. He was at a place called Lodabar, which I love the Bible because it's like a diamond. Every time you look at it, you can kind of keep turning it and there's so many facets to the Bible. And, and, and one of the ways that you can kind of look more into the Bible if you're studying it is you can look at in what some of the names in the Old Testament mean, whether it's a person's name or a place name. Because as you're reading, what you'll find is that many times God actually uses the meaning of certain places to kind of give even more depth to the story that you're reading. It's pretty incredible. That, 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 that he was someone, uh, that, that even Mephibosheth's name, this is not in your notes either, but Mephibosheth's name means to drive away shame. It's, it's like an oxymoron. His name meant to put away shame, but he was this person living in shame. God, in other words, had this huge calling on his life, but he was kind of the direct opposite, not because of what he had done, but because of what had been done to him in his life. And he's living at this place called Lodabar. You'll see it there in the passage. Lodabar literally means the disconnected place or the place of no communication, the place that is without pasture, the place that is barren. That he was living in a disconnected place. He was living at a place far from his destiny. He was royalty in his blood, but he was at this place crippled, far away in a barren place, in a barren land. Maybe I'm talking to somebody this morning that you feel like there's some barren hopes, some dreams. You felt like things would be further than they are now in your life. You feel like things are, are, are just kind of coming over you, whether it's depression or dead or hopelessness or joylessness. And you're thinking, is there actually hope for my life? This is undoubtedly how Mephibosheth felt. So the Bible says David sent for him. Here's what I love about this story is that David didn't say, well, if he wants to be blessed, then he can get his keister 
to Jerusalem because that's where I am. And if he wants that, then that's, he can come to me and then, you know, then we'll talk and then we'll know. But he says, hey, go get him. <laughs> I'm so thankful that God went and got me. Like, I'm so thankful that God has reached for me even whenever I couldn't reach for God. Like God's purpose reached for me just like he does for each and every one of us. See, the king is so kind. He reaches for us. He cares about us. And the Bible says he sent for him even though he was crippled, even though he was damaged, even though he was disconnected. And watch what David does. I love this. Verse, verse five there, it says, so David, it's on the back of your notes, it says, so David sent him and brought him from maker's home and his name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David says, Greeting, greetings, Mephibosheth. I love that. It doesn't say greetings, cripple. He doesn't say greetings, problemed person. He says him, calls him by his name, his destiny. And he said, I am your servant. Don't be afraid. David said, I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise with your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you will eat here with me at the king's table. A crippled condition but a royal position. David called for him from a place of disconnection. David said, I want you to sit at my table. What an incredible picture of who God is. How do we be carried to, from our crippled condition to our royal position in God? I wanna give you a couple truths about what we're called to do. Here's the first one, that we need to surrender our lives to the king. He had to allow himself to be carried to the king. I have two kids and sometimes getting them to be carried is a hard thing because they're squirming, you know, they're going all over the place screaming, you know. And you're trying to hold them, trying to contain them. And Mephibosheth, he had to allow himself to be carried to the table. Maybe there's something in you, you're, you wanna be good enough, you wanna try to do enough, and God says, no, no, no. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to surrender your life to me. It's not about doing this in your own strength. It's not about living your life in your own ability, but uh, I want you right now to surrender your life to me. Maybe you're here today, and there's been part of this message that you've identified with. I'd say to you, just surrender to God today. Surrender to the King. You say, well, I have all kinds of questions and, and I need to know more about this. And, and, I, and I would say, man, that's, that, that, that's awesome. And, and we all have questions along the way and there's nothing wrong with that. But here's the deal. The first thing we do is just surrender to God. Say, God, I don't understand everything. I don't know exactly everything that's gonna happen, but I just surrender to you. I just trust you. Here's the second thing that he did. He worshiped the king. Worshiped the king said that he bowed low to the ground in deep respect and he said greetings. He bowed down to the king. I believe that 
whenever we realize the grace and the mercy of Almighty God, the response is simply to bow down and trust him. And here's the third thing that he did is he trusted the king. Mephibosheth had to trust that the king's table was better than what he had provided for himself. See, when you've been dropped, it's easy not to trust. When you've been dropped along the way, it's really easy not to trust people. But Mephibosheth had to choose to trust. There's a man named S.M. Lockridge, an orator pastor from Los Angeles, California. He wrote the following message about how we can trust in God. He is the key to knowledge. He is the wellspring of wisdom. He is the doorway of deliverance. He is the path of peace. He is the roadway of righteousness, the highway of holiness. He is the gateway to glory, and you can trust him. Can you say that with me? You can trust him. I'm going to help me out with this. He is the master of the mighty. He's the captor of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of the governors. He's the prince of peace. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And I'm telling you, you can trust him. Why don't you say it with me? You can trust him. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but all I can tell you is that, church, you can trust him. I love it. He's indescribable because he's incomprehensible. He's irresistible because he's inconceivable. You can't get him, get him off your hands and you can't get him off your mind. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Pilate couldn't stand it when he found out that he couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him and the witnesses could, get, could not get their testimonies to, to agree and Herod couldn't kill him. There was nobody before him, and there'll be no one after him. He has no predecessor. He'll have no successor. You can't impeach him, and he's not going to resign. I'm telling you, you can trust him. He is Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He's all things. He's the giver of life. He's the joy out of every sorrow. He's the light of darkness, of every darkness. He's the peace that passes all understanding. He's the giver of good, every good and perfect gift. I'm telling you, you can trust him. There's no God before him and there'll be none after him. He's the first, the last. He is preeminent. There is no other God. He concludes by saying, church, you can trust him. I wanna tell you today, you can trust your God. Verse 13, it's there at the, end, the bottom of your notes. My favorite part of the story, it concludes about Mephibosheth's life. He says, Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. I wish I could tell you that Mephibosheth was never crippled anymore. I wish I could tell you that every pain from your past is never gonna affect you anymore. And if you just pray this one prayer, then everything in your life's gonna be perfect after today, but it's just not true. 
I'll dare say that some of us are gonna go to heaven crippled a little bit with some pains of life. But here's my favorite part of the story of Mephibosheth, and I've saved it for last, is that it said Mephibosheth regularly or constantly all the time, he, he ate at the king's table. And I could just imagine what that table would look like. You see, Mephibosheth's disability didn't, wasn't noticeable as long as he sat at the king's table. See, Mephibosheth may have been crippled, but the moment that he sat down at the king's table, he looked like every other person sitting there. See, he was covered by the table. As long as he stayed at the table, his crippled condition didn't define who he was. He sat with pride. He sat there with joy because he sat at the king's table. And I want you to know that there may be some aspects and areas of our life where we're hurt, where we're pain. God invites you to his table today and as long as you sit there, your condition does not define who you are. As long as you sit there at that table, the table covers your past. The table covers your problem. The, the table covers your disability. And that's the beauty of the table of God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I believe God would invite someone to the table here today. Say, so what does that mean? It just simply means this. Would you trust him today? Would you trust Jesus today? Would you hear his call from that place of disconnection, that place of being damaged? Would you hear his call today and just simply respond by saying, yes, I'll come. I'll come to your table. And maybe you're here today and you said yes to that years ago and you've, you're sitting at the table and maybe today your response is to say, Father, thank you for calling my name. <laughs> Forgive me whenever I wanna step aside and act like it's something I've done. But God, today I'm just overwhelmed by your grace and I'm gonna sit here right here at this table and I'm gonna allow you to cover me all the days of my life. In Jesus' name.